Well, I want to, I know JD just kind of talked about it. I want to say a quick thank you to one, all the ladies that came. If you came to IF this last weekend, will you just raise your hand real quick? That's awesome. That is so wonderful. It looked amazing. And then to everybody else from a leadership standpoint, a lot of the ladies that helped put this together, and to everybody that came yesterday and served. And look, I served in our kids' area. That's a big thing for me. All of them are alive, and no one bled on, on my watch. Somebody else that I'd already gone, but I'm calling that a win. Um, Years ago, when I was in high school, we had like a career recruiter that came, and they just kind of asked that question. They asked all the high schoolers, like, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I told him, I want to be an anesthesiologist. I couldn't even spell anesthesiologist, but he typed it in the computer and kind of showed me, hey, here's what you're going to have to do um, school-wise. And I was like, that's a lot. Um, and then he showed me the salary, and I went, I think I'm worth that. Um, I have said many times since that point, I have saved a lot of lives by not becoming a doctor. There are a lot of people alive today because I did not go into that field. Oh, let's put you to sleep. Um, that wouldn't have been my thing. In fact, the typical path for a doctor in America, you have your four years of undergrad. I couldn't even do that in four. I took a victory lap. Then you have four years of medical school. Where the first two years, you're studying books and like, I mean, just to learn the anatomy of the human body. I've taken the redneck version of that in an animal science class. The amount of muscles and bones and tissue and ligaments in the human body is unbelievable. And to retain the information to be able to list all of that off is crazy. And then you start learning about diagnosing things. And then you start learning about prescriptions. And then after four years of that, you spend three to seven years in residency in a teaching hospital, following doctors around, learning the craft. And by the time you're in your 30s, you finally have... MD attached to your name, but the amount of information that they have and the ability to change lives is remarkable, right? Because something as simple as walking into a doctor's office and just listing off things and them going, I can diagnose what you have, or the ability to legally cut open a human body and take an organ that may be messed up and put one that works in, like the taking out part I could do, I could still get that. It's the bringing them back part that I have a little bit of issue with, right? Like the ability to put a different heart into a human being and start that back up, that's phenomenal. And in today's world, we've begun to mix medicine and science so much that we 3D print body parts even. I forget where in Europe they printed a jaw for a woman. And then a doctor with all their skill and knowledge was able to take a 3D printed jaw and put that into a woman to give her her life back. Like, their ability to retain information and change lives is remarkable, but I want you to think of this. If someone had all of that knowledge, all of that ability, and they did nothing with it, what a travesty that would be. Like, if, heaven forbid, you were at a restaurant somewhere, and you had an accident, and you were bleeding, or had a heart attack, and there was a doctor nearby who said, I'm just not feeling it today. Like, we would look at that not only as morally wrong, we would say, that is evil. Like, that is, a, that is a gross misuse of your power. And any time something like that would happen, we would immediately go, that's wrong. But it happens a lot in the context of church. In about 60 seconds, Jesus taught through the Beatitudes, the supreme blessedness that we spent weeks talking about. There is a lot of information for us just in those 12 verses. There's all you need to know about being born again, about going, you know what, spiritually I'm bankrupt and I need something more. There's all you need to know about living a life that chases after righteousness. There's all you need to know about entering the kingdom of heaven. And we have that knowledge as believers 
If you're in Christ, that's been poured into you. The truth of Scripture is there, but way too often, we don't do things with it. We isolate ourselves and we hold that information in. And Jesus is going to go, that's not why I said that to you. Over the next several weeks, Jesus is going to do what I would just call kind of lightning round. He's going to teach through a number of different things pretty quickly. But what they all pertain to is, hey, you've been given this. You need to put it into action. This is not something we just store away and go, I know stuff. Like, I know the Beatitudes. I have them memorized. No, it's about living that out. And to do that, Jesus brings up a couple of illustrations for the people that are listening to him. And today, we're going to look at salt and light. We're going to look at what that looks like and what it looks like to live that out each and every day. And so we're going to be in Matthew chapter 5. We'll be in verse 13 to start. It's going to be on the screen. You can follow along in your Bibles as well. After Jesus gets done with the Beatitudes, he just continues to teach. He rolls into the next thing, and he says in verse 13, You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Now, Jesus is going to use two what we would call pretty common metaphors here, like he, these illustrations that he gives. And sometimes if we read it today, we kind of take it for granted. But the first thing he talks about is salt. Now, you probably didn't get to do this this week. To kind of understand this, I just spent a portion of my week studying salt. It was a lot of fun. Salt is one of those things, it's the most common condiment in America. Like, I can't remember a restaurant that I've been to where they didn't have salt. Like, it's literally everywhere in our society. But it plays so much of a role in human history. When Jesus talks about it, his people saw it as a little bit different. So here's kind of a brief history of it. As long as recorded history is gone, and even we know before then, salt has been in existence. We know it because it's kind of a mineral, sodium chloride. Six, actually 8,000 years ago in a country which today I guess is Romania, we know that they would go into these mineral springs, take water out of it, and boil it because they knew they could get salt out of it. And they knew that salt was a good thing. In fact, 200 million tons of salt are manufactured or mined or created every year in our society. The weird thing is only 6% of that 200 million tons is actually used for human consumption. See, salt has a lot of different purposes. We use it for food and things like that. We use it for other purposes, but we salt roads with it. We use it in livestock, agriculture, industrial applications. Salt's pretty important. Salt's changed words that we have. The word salad gets its derivative from salt because in ancient times, the Romans would salt leafy greens and they started calling it a salad. The word salary um, comes from a Latin salarium aginum. Back in the day, salt was so precious that Roman soldiers were paid in salt. If you've heard the term worth your weight or salt or not worth your weight in salt, that's where it comes from. It was a salary aspect. Like salt has played a huge role in human history, in battles, in war. People would fight to make sure they had a salt manufacturer. And it's just played this huge aspect in human history and today we kind of take it for granted it's like oh it's on the table it's this simple simple thing and yet Jesus is going to use it to illustrate a number of things because salt has a lot of different purposes years ago I heard a pastor who was preaching on this message or on this passage and he said man I like to be salty I like to get into people I'm like I don't think that's what Jesus was referring to because yes if you have a cut and you jump in the ocean what happens it hurts like salt can be a little bit of an annoyance but we talked the other week about, hey, when we talk about persecution, it's persecution for righteousness' sake, not for just the sake of being a jerk, right? So salt has a lot of different purposes. 
And when Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth, there's several things that we get to learn from that. The first one's this. Salt preserves. This little substance, long ago before we had refrigeration and you know, ice and all those wonderful things we enjoy today, salt was used to preserve things. Now, there's a reality that we have to acknowledge. When people read this, a couple misconstrued things happen. One is this, that our world is just naturally getting better. Like we as humans are evolving and we're making things better. And yes, we've made a lot of advances. We've got lights on right now. We have air conditioning. That's wonderful. I'm thankful to live in 2020 because of plumbing. But you turn the news on, whatever news station you watch, and you would see the world is not getting better. Our world is decaying. Our world, is, in reality, it's rotten. And here's the first thing we learn from salt. Christians are called to help preserve a dying world. When we look around us, we see injustice, we see pain, we see brokenness. That's part of the world naturally decaying because sin does that to humanity. From its inception, from Adam and Eve on, it's been passed down, and it's decaying our world, and yet we have the opportunity to help preserve the world that we live in a little bit at a time. And there's another thing that comes up from this that's misconstrued also. Sometimes people will look and say, okay, I get the world's broken. Man, it's rotten. I don't want to be a part of it. I mean, hundreds and hundreds of years ago, monasteries existed because people said, hey, I'm going to retreat from society. I'm going to retreat from this rotting and dying world, and I'm just going to stay here with what I know, and it's going to be great. And yet Jesus goes, no, that's not what I called you to do. I didn't call salt to be put on a cupboard. I put salt out into the earth because we get the opportunity to help preserve it. If we just isolate ourselves and we don't go out into the world to try and make a difference through the gospel, the reality is we may as well change the sign out front to say you can all go to hell because that's what we're communicating to the world if we're not out there trying to preserve, trying to share the gospel. Years ago, I had a friend, like his pastor wouldn't let him do this, but he, would, he had a sign printed, and that's what he was going to put up outside. But he's like, look, if we're not sharing the gospel, this is what we're telling them, and he was right. Like if we aren't going out impacting and preserving through the gospel, through the power of Jesus Christ, what we're telling the world is, hey, we don't care about you. It's not about isolation. It's about going out. See, salt slowly stops a decaying process. Salted meats, they went all over the world back in the day. We don't eat them a lot now. We know what sodium is, and we try and keep that under 2,000 milligrams, right? But back in the day, this little substance was used to preserve. It let people explore. It stopped that decaying process. And that's what we get called to do as well. Because think of this. Think of your testimony. Somebody, a pastor, a friend, somebody shared the gospel with you. And you processed through that, and God began to work on your heart, and you became a believer. Someone, being the salt of the earth, became a preservation process, right? Because you went from being dead to alive. They help preserve, and we do that over and over and over again. And so our actions and sharing the gospel, they help to preserve the world around us. So a couple of things. One, you need to preserve where God has put you. God could have put you at any moment in time. You could have lived a thousand years ago. You could have lived a thousand years in the future if he hadn't come back yet. But he placed you in this place. He placed you in Abilene or the surrounding area. He put you at the job that you have right now. 
He put those co-workers around you and you like some of them and then there's that one guy. <laughs> you get the opportunity to preserve by being the salt of the earth. Preserve where God has placed you. Okay, so maybe sometimes work is difficult. Remember that God has been gracious to you. Be gracious to others. Be loving. Share the gospel. Preserve where God has put you. Because here's another reality of salt. When you sweat, it gets salt out of your body. If you retain that salt, you get bloated. And way too often the church has become bloated because we are the salt of the earth, but we're not going out enough. And I don't ever want it to be said of South Point or really any church that they become bloated, that yes, they have all of this knowledge and they, they hold on to it so tight, but they do nothing with it. That's not what we're called to do. We're called to go out and be the salt of the earth. Another thing that salt does is it flavors. Like, eggs are good, right? Eggs with a little bit of salt go a long way better, right? Salt flavors. And our flavor should point others to Christ. It's kind of crazy how salt works of when it hits certain taste buds, it changes and enhances certain things. That's why even like a little pinch of salt will go into something like cookies because it cuts some of the bitterness and it brings out the sweetness. Or you have something savory like a soup or some really good mashed potatoes. You put some salt on there and it brings out other aspects in your taste bud. It just flavors things. It makes things better. And for far too long, the flavor of Christianity has been a little bland. <laughs> That's why there's jokes like I mentioned, I think a few weeks ago, a girl said, hey, that horse must be a Christian. Look at its long face. <laughs> I read another thing where a guy said, hey, I was going to go into seminary, but they all looked like undertakers. And I've been to seminary, and I get what he was saying. <laughs> like, it's reality. Like, far too often, we have been bland. Now, I don't mean we just be of the world completely, but we need to be flavorful. And our flavor needs to make people's lives better because that's what salt is called to do. I mean, he says, hey, if it's lost its taste, what good is it? And our flavor needs to be amazing. So how do we add flavor? We add it by contributing to the society around us. That's why if you're an employee, that's most of us, right? When you go to work, you should stand out. You should work harder because you know it's God-honoring. And it should be apparent, and you should add a flavor to your workplace that people go, I need some of that. Okay, if you're an employer, it doesn't need to be about being a dictator it needs to be about loving the people that God has blessed you with as employees and the opportunity to impact them. You need to flavor that well. Our homes, people should look at those and go, man, there's something about those people, the way they parent, their relationship, where it's a flavor that people go, I need that. When it comes to the world at large, like the gifts that God has given us and the abilities, whether that be arts, entertainment, music, any of those things, our flavor, people should look at and go, man, that's not terrible, that's pretty good actually. That's why I love that some musicians have just said, hey, we're kind of doing Christian music a little bit different now because we think this is a little bit better. And some of them are unbelievably talented, and even people outside of Christianity look at it and go, man, that guy's really good. Like Shane and Shane is one of my favorite bands, and I can't play the guitar, but what I know is their guitar music is really hard to play. And I got buddies that are far from God that go, those guys are really good. And there's just something they go, man, that, that flavor I kind of like. Even something as crazy in the last year as Kanye West. <laughs> Okay, that, that kind of got blown up a little bit of, well, is he really a believer? That's not for me to figure out. But here's what I know. It sure seems like that dude loves Jesus now. <laughs> and the music that he makes, look, he has the opportunity to impact people that I cannot. 
And man, if God takes someone like that and begins doing something, you want to talk about a crazy revival. Man, God taking someone like that and going, hey, look at the flavor that's going on here. And watch it permeate. Watch it change people's lives. Like our flavor should be absolutely amazing. Our flavor should impact things in social injustice. Years ago in England, there was a guy named William Wilberforce looked around and said, hey, you know what? I think it's morally, ethically, and very much biblically wrong to have people as slaves. And so his flavor was, I'm going to do something about this. I'm going to eradicate this. I'm going to be a voice for people that don't have a voice. And a lot of people didn't like his flavor. And he got shouted down. But he didn't let his flavor go away. And that flavor began to impact other people and go, you know what, I think he's right. And a couple more, you know what, I think he's right. And eventually it led to the abolition of slavery in the UK, which then led to a worldwide thing. That was the guy that said, hey, my flavor is going to make the world a better place. Because ultimately, our flavor is a reflection of our obedience to God. Your flavor at times, if we're just being honest, maybe it's bitter. Or your flavor at times, maybe it's not something people would want to be a part of. Oftentimes it goes back, okay, if you're being obedient to God, if you're walking in the truth of Scripture, when you see it and you go, you know what, I read it, and not only do I read it, I'm going to live it, your flavor becomes a reflection of how you view God. And that flavor begins to impact the world. Salt flavors, and we get the opportunity to be an amazing flavor that points people towards Jesus Christ. Then there's another thing that salt does. Hey, Caleb, how's it going? Good, good. Why don't you come up here real quick? I got something for you. Yeah, you can just stand right here. A couple things. You're not allergic to salt, are you? Good. Anaphylactic shock is not a good thing on Sunday morning. Um, Why don't you stick your tongue out for a second? That's, That's good. That's good. Yeah, nothing, nothing to see here. Yeah, I did this last night with like an eighth of that. Yeah, Now, just hang out for a second. Just let that kind of resonate. Switch, switch it around a little bit. How is that? Is it good? Nope. That's what I thought. Man, it's still kind of cold. Yeah. I bet you want some of this, don't you? Oh, that's refreshing. <laughs> Would you like this water? Yes. I thought so. <laughs> Thank you, Caleb. <laughs> Salt makes people thirsty. Amen. Get a little on your tongue. <laughs> He's down in that water. <laughs> Salt makes people thirsty. A question we have to ask, if we're called to be the salt of the earth, do we make mankind thirsty? Because when people around us watch our lives, watch our obedience, watch the evidence of Christ doing something different in us, it should make them thirsty for that truth. We have to ask ourselves, do we make mankind thirsty? Because the evidence that they see in our lives, they should be able to look at us, just from what we've looked at in Matthew so far, they should see joy. They should see a people that go, you know what? I have been forgiven of much. I have been made into a new creation. I don't let the whims of the world just overcome me. I love Jesus deeply, and it makes me happy. They should see that joy and go, I want that. Like, I'm desperate for that. Like, water for someone with salt on them. They should see satisfaction in our lives. 
Because we looked and said, hey, if we hunger and thirst for righteousness, man, the satisfaction that we're going to find surpasses everything material, everything on earth. They should look and see, man, how is it that you're not always chasing after the next big thing? How is it that you're not desiring all this other worldly stuff and go, man, I have a satisfaction that runs into my soul. And they should go, I want that. They should see peace in our lives. They should see us walk into situations when everyone else is losing their mind and going, I know God's got this, and I'm going to press into him. Like, the peace that overcomes us from Jesus Christ is unbelievable. They should see that and go, I want that. They should see blessing. We just spent three weeks talking about blessed are those who insert the beatitude. They should be able to look at our lives and go, I can tell you're blessed. But it's not because you won the lottery. And it's not because you're 6'5 and have, you know, a professional athlete or something like that. Like, they just go, what about is it, or what about you is it that has made you so blessed? Christ. I'm following after him. I'm chasing after him. I'm living in obedience to him. And when I do that, I find that I'm quite a blessed person. And it should make the world around us look at us and go, I want that. I am thirsty for that. I am thirsty for truth. I am thirsty for grace. I am thirsty for peace. I'm thirsty for satisfaction. I'm thirsty for everything that Jesus represents. And I'm thirsty for him. Our lives need to show that. As salt, we need to make people thirsty. Not bitter, but we need to make them want Jesus. And here's the last thing about salt. I said 200 million tons are manufactured every year. Go to any restaurant. Guess what? Salt's pretty common. He could have said, you're the gold or silver, precious metal, diamond, whatever. No, he said, you're salt of the earth. Salt's a pretty common thing. The, the beauty of this, God uses common things. This is not written for just a special group of Christianity. This wasn't written just for the disciples. When Jesus is teaching here, remember, he's surrounded by a multitude. He's surrounded by the disciples. He's surrounded by people that can't read. He's surrounded by people that are poor. He's surrounded by people that are hurting. He's surrounded by all these things. He goes, y'all are salt. That's pretty common. And God uses common things. You don't have to be some super Christian. It's just all of us. We are all called to be the salt of the earth. And if we don't, man, the, the bad thing is, look, it's, what purpose does it have? You let salt get mixed with other things, get a little dirt in there, and people go, mm, I don't like that as much anymore. No, we're called to be salt, to go out, proclaim who he is, preserve and flavor this world. And then he continues on. Look at Matthew chapter 5 and verse 14. He switches it up to another illustration. He says, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Now, as he starts out, he says, You are the light of the world. Fun fact in Greek, there are 16 different ways to say the word the. It's a lot of fun. That's great for your first-year seminary student. 16 different ways to say the, but I can tell you and promise you, he says the. When it comes to our world, there's a lot of what I would call, that's, that's a light. 
But he says, I didn't call you to be a light. I called you to be the light. The world doesn't need a light. It needs the light. And here's how I thought we could illustrate this. So get comfy for a second. If you're afraid of the dark, sorry. Because uh, y'all go ahead. We're going we're gonna to start turning some lights out here. Because here's what this looks like. Oh, yeah. Creepy, huh? <laughs> the reality is the world's full of darkness. Our world is broken. And it needs the light. But too many times we chase after a light. And here's what it starts to look like. Man, there's darkness all over. But you look out and See, this one's not very big. doesn't do a lot, but this is the person who says, hey, I'm, I'm a light. Yeah, look, I, I put some change in the Salvation Army thing at Christmas. And the only reason I did it is because it felt like that bell ringer had a key to my soul. Um, you know what I'm talking about. It's like, they are ringing that just at me. It was like, man, I did something nice. Man, I did something nice once. I'm, I'm, I'm a light. And it doesn't really make an impact. Or... Maybe it's a little bit bigger. Look, I'm a light. I'm a moral person. I don't steal things from my neighbor. I don't cuss that often. <laughs> Certainly not at you know, dinner table. I'm, I'm a light. It's still kind of dark. Or maybe it's this one. This is the one where I would say, man, it's just, whoa. I'm a light, but man, I am all over the place. Like, I'm over here, I'm trying to get more social media followers. Oh, I got like 10,000 views on TikTok, so I'm happy. But now, uh, only the kids laugh. And now I'm over here because that wasn't satisfying. And now I'm over here. And really, all that is, you're not a light. You're just a cat chasing the laser. You ever seen how that works out? They hit a wall. Just a little light. Or, or maybe it's a light as in... Oh, yeah, I had to borrow this one. Man, it's like, that's a celebrity. They're, they're, a, they're a light to the world. Man, whatever they put up on social media, we're going to retweet it because you know, it sounds like the gospel doesn't really change anything. And look, it's still dark. But man, we chase after all these different A-lights. But the reality is we don't need A-light. Y'all can turn back on. We need the light. We can pull them back up now. <laughs> Smells like rustic woods up here. <laughs> the world needs the light, not a light. We've chased a light way too long. And we've been called to be the light. He says, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. A lot of commentators think when Jesus said this, there was a city um, not very far from there called Sepheth. And it's set up on a hill. And light is another one of those things that we kind of take for granted today because it's literally everywhere. Like we have electricity. We've all lived with that. And we just flip a switch and there's light. But in Jesus' day, light was a precious commodity. The sun came up, you went to work. The sun went down, you stopped. 
Even in a city like Jerusalem, the temple lights would burn throughout the night, but eventually they would go out. And he says, you are the light of the world, a city set on a hill. This is not to be hidden. This is not knowledge that we go, oh, I've got this in me, and I'm not doing anything with it. No, we've been called to shine. Like, I don't know if you've ever seen a city on a hill or just been exposed to, like, huge light that just can't be hidden. If you want, get on I-20 and drive to the Metroplex. If you're familiar on I-20 around the DBU area, there's this random hill. And you can start to drive up that hill at night, and you forget you're in the Metroplex. You can't see anything. It's completely dark, and it's kind of relaxing. When you come over the top of that hill, if you're going towards Fort Worth, as soon as you crest, all you see as far as you can see is light. You see an airport. You see subdivisions. You see buildings. You see downtown. It is in no way hidden. It's just literally as far as you can see, it's just light. Jesus says, you're that light to the world. We are called to shine. We are called to reflect Jesus Christ. Because think of it this way, like, we, we are the light of the world, but we're pointing people towards the true light, Jesus Christ. Think of yourself more as the moon. The moon's 250,000 miles away. That's rounded if you're an exact person. Now, the moon doesn't give off light. It's literally just reflecting the sun. But yet, that's kind of what we've been called to do. Christ is the light, and we have been called to reflect that to our world. And yet, far too often, the church and believers, we haven't reflected as well. You've seen a full moon, and you know what a new moon is. It's it's not visible. We've been called to be full moon believers. Be careful with how you interpret that one. (laughs) I got a three-year-old who, uh, yeah, he would full moon everyone. But that's the kind of light that we're called to reflect. Christ shines into our lives. Christ speaks truth into our lives. Christ changes us, and we have been called to reflect that to the society and the world around us. It's not just for special Christians. Again, he's talking to everybody here. He says, you are the light of the world. The world needs this light because the world is just clamoring around and groping in darkness. The world doesn't know what's right. I just want to tell people, like, when, when people outside of Christ do things that are wrong, like, there's one aspect where you go, hey, you know, there's righteous anger in that. But I would also say, hey, look, dead people don't make the right decisions. <laughs> like, they don't know. That's what the world they're living in. It's just darkness, and we have been called to be that light. And so how do we be that light? Obedience and action. We let the world see our good works. He says, let your light shine before others. So where does it start? Before others. And we live out good works. See, good works are intentional, they're God-honoring, and they are not about your glory. (laughs) Now what he's saying here is, look, you have to approach this, don't make it about yourself, this isn't a prideful thing, but we know that Scripture says God has created good works for us, like he's already placed that out there. When we leave here today, we have the opportunity to impact our community. And we can impact that in a lot of different ways, through different ministries, through when you go to work. And he said, let your light shine before others. Again, this is all about action. He's saying, hey, it's not just shining in your house. It's shining before others. Your neighbor, your coworker, teacher, student, whatever. 
You let that light shine. And then you ask yourself, who do I want to get the glory? That's an all-important question. Because no one would say, you know what, I think I'll split the glory with God 50-50 this time. It's not a wise decision. There's only one number. It's 100%. Give that to God. And so you look around and go, hey, where can I be the light? Like, what is happening in my community, in my household, in my city, that I can be the light? And I loved this weekend. It was a great example of it. And I watched people serving all over the place, watched people growing, watched people inviting. That's amazing. Look around and say, hey, where can I be the light? Where is their darkness? You don't have to look very far. I know Abilene's like, it's a great place. You don't have to look far to find dark. And we have been called to be the light in that. And then when you find that area, you make an impact. Not for your glory, but for God, so that people would look again and go, why God called me to do this? Why are you loving on people? Why are you coming up to the pantry and like handing out food and praying over people? Because God's called me to do that. God's been really gracious to me, and I want to be an impact to others. Like I want to be the gospel. Why are you going out and hitting the streets and going into some rough places? Because reality is, I was a rough person because everyone is. <laughs> like, you don't have to be on crack. <laughs> like, just by nature, we're sinful, broken people. And God's been gracious to me, and so I'm going to go out and I'll do some things. I'll share the gospel. He's called us to be the light. We look out, we see darkness, and go, how can I push back against that? It's all about action this week. When we leave this place, you know two things. You are salt, and you are light. And we are called to use that to impact our world. Let's pray. God, we love you. God, maybe today, there's people here this morning, they don't, they don't know what it looks like to be salt and light because they've never been made into a new creation to begin with. So if you're here today, it could be your first time, could be your hundredth time, doesn't matter. You've just been wrestling with where you're at spiritually. We want you to know that truth comes through Jesus Christ. Grace comes through him. Forgiveness comes through him. And if you're here today and you don't know what that looks like, but you just feel God tugging at you, it's, it's acknowledging that, yes, I know I'm a sinful person, but I want to turn away from that. I don't want that life anymore. I want to be a follower of Christ. We know that scripture says in that moment, people are made into a new creation. And so if you're wrestling with that, I would encourage you, come talk to one of our pastors, put it on a connect card. We love to celebrate new life. And for a lot of us, as we go out today, God, just remind us, let us be the salt. God, I pray that our flavor is addictive <laughs> because it's you. And God, people would see that in us, man, we would just make this world better because of you and through you. We ask all of that in Christ's name. Amen.